This is Justice Matters with Tim Buxton, coming to you from Yugambe country of the Commonberry people of the Gold Coast, Australia. I'm your host, Tim, where my sole aim is to share conversations I get to have with inspiring people doing remarkable work to create a world where we all belong. This podcast is brought to you by the Just Travel Company. Experience wonder and unearth justice and discover the just way to travel today. Visit just-travel.co. Without further ado, here's our guest for this episode of Justice Matters. Well, welcome, John. Uh, welcome to all our guests that are zo- uh, Zooming. I feel like because I'm on a video chat with you, I have to say Zooming, which is terrible. But those that are either watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite uh, podcast streaming service, welcome to Justice Matters and welcome, John, to uh, to the episode today. Hey, Tim, and hello out there to everyone listening or watching too. Yeah. Uh, we... You and I got introduced um, via, you know, the good old uh, messenger service um, with a mutual friend, Mike Hardy, who's up here in Queensland. You're down in, in uh, Sydney, in the guts of Sydney. King's Cross is where a lot of your work happens, but also in the, the urban areas of Sydney as well. Uh, we got introduced. I have spent a day down there, and someone like Mike is someone who I would trust to say uh, – uh, this is a guy you need to catch up with, Tim. I know you get on with him. And sure enough, uh, I really appreciated the, the last-minute um, in, invitation to go grab a, uh, some, some food and a coffee. And um, it was just so good just spending a, a, an hour or two with you, um, John, down there and, and just so proud of, um, you know, just the, the, the work that you are doing, the work that your not only organisation has done and really look forward to chatting with it um, our you know audience um will be able to listen and chat with you about it um just quickly you are the pastor ceo because it's quite a a a larger multi-dimensional organization called wayside chapel in the heart of sydney um that really has an incredible heart for those that have fallen by the wayside the the down and outs of society who you know i think we'll find are not actually down and out they have so much to to teach us and so much to show us in life but um yeah i'd love to for you to just kind of introduce or wayside chapel introduce yourself i'd love to hear you know your family your your background and and then we'll get kind of stuck into it fantastic sounds fun Oh, you want me to say it? <laughs> There's a lot yeah, of questions want, in there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So just give us the intro, whatever you want to share. Um, yeah, mate, go for it. It's better you saying it than me because I'll probably, you know, you know, butcher it a little bit. But Oh, yeah. that, that's all right. You can butcher away. So, look, I've been <laughs> in this role for a few years now. I, I think like a lot of people I meet, I, I kind of really – stepped into the role and then the pandemic really descended upon us all. So it only feels like now just beginning. So it's uh, been a few years since I've been the pastor and CEO of this amazing organisation. It didn't certainly begin with me. It began in 1964 when the doors were first thrown open in this neighbourhood, which has got quite a unique history in terms of 
its relationship to Sydney, but also its relationship to Australia. So it's been many things over many years and it's had many reputations <laughs> and it's it's depicted often on TV shows. It's, um, you know, it, yeah. it, it it's an eclectic place. It's a beautiful community. It is one that has always had at its heart a an acceptance, a an approach of non-judgment mm. towards those in our community. It's been a refuge for people who have mm. often been kicked out of their households because of issues regarding their race, gender or sexuality. And we've kind of ridden those waves. It's right near, it's right in the heart of the city. It's right near the wharf where the heroin epidemic first kind of broke out in New South Wales wow. as well, when uh, soldiers in the 70s from Vietnam brought all this co heroin up the hill and all of a sudden we yeah. had this big drug thing going on. You know, it, this was the place that was really impacted in the 80s and 90s through the HIV AIDS crisis as mm. well. And it's always been the nightclub red light district of the area. Yeah. And, you know, we've Bayside's always found itself in the heart of it. You know, we we were, it's an amazing little organisation and I don't just say that because I'm the boss of it, but it's, uh, it, <laughs> we're, we're a small little outfit, but we're well known through the country because of the way we're involved in the work that we do. And so there's mm, some mm. initiatives that have flowed out of this place that are life education that's gone international. And most Aussie kids uh, in primary school mm. would be familiar with, a part of the curriculum where they go into the back of a truck and listen to a giraffe talk about drugs. Could there be anything more Australian than that? Wow. <laughs> That's a guy called Healthy Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Healthy Harold, he started from here and life education was really so a response. Cool. Yeah, it was really a response to, you know, when mm. heroin first hit the streets, no one knew what was going on. All these young people, you know, through that you know, the, the, the 70s and the revolutions that were going on through that time, all of a sudden seeing young people dying uh, with this drug. And wow. so life education was really a way of talking about people's potential. The first classroom, the roof was painted black and it was just dotted with constellations of stars. And, you know, the classes would begin by saying, you know, don't forget that you are made of this stuff and you have so much potential. And so then it would go on to the curriculum around mm. some of the impacts that drug use does have upon you. Uh, the freedom rights, which is a, a pivotal moment in Aboriginal rights in this country, left from the front doorstep here. I'm just looking yeah. down to where it was. And that's where a bunch of student activists so good. got on a bus and just drove to some of our outback towns where there was segregation. Many people aren't aware, but mm. the earliest forms of apartheid were based upon the way this country, Australia, was run. And so they just went oh, and they, wow. they engaged in acts of civil disobedience, which were basically letting little Aboriginal kids go jump into the local swimming pools that were marked whites only. And that was a really important moment for our nation mm. that kind of sowed the seeds that led to the referendum, where prior to the referendum, Aboriginal mm. peoples were not considered citizens. They were considered, uh, they were they were protected yep. under the Flora and Fauna Act. That So we, we have a close relationship there with the Aboriginal Whoa. community. And also 
through that time, through through the uh, AIDS epidemic and heroin crisis, one of my predecessors, you know, almost once a, a week was opening the doors to the chapel and picking up a dead body of someone who was just young and full of life and potential, but drugs had taken that away from them. And so as a response of civil disobedience, we started the tolerance room here, which was another act of civil disobedience where mm-hmm. I think it opened up seven times. We were just there to allow people to safely inject heroin with some fresh, clean needles mm. and to have people there to support them in case mm. it was a bad batch. So that was shut down, mm. open seven days. The pastor was arrested seven times and released till the, until the Premier of the state, Bob Carr, at the time rang him up and said, if you promise to not open up tomorrow, I promise to put it on the agenda for the drug summit that he was calling and and that led to the oh, medically wow. supervised injecting center until two years ago it was the only one in the southern hemisphere and it was created by a special act of parliament so you know we've got a, a really it's, it's such a beautiful place where uh, the whole thing about us though is that mm. we're not we weren't designed from the university down you know we are led from the gutter up so we we don't get involved in causes yeah we, i love that we meet people and so we we see what's emerging and we really feel like the impacts of society and the truth about a society is always heard from the edges and it's important for us to attune our hearts and our voices in there and we've also got a a beautiful unique philosophy where we 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 don't try and fix people We one of mm. one of the core parts of our philosophy is no one's a problem to be solved; they're a person to be met. And if someone walks away from here feeling met rather oh than worked gosh. on, we know it's been a good day. That's really important because the Western world has a way yeah. of constituting us as lonely. And you know, I was reading a Guardian article the other day where a radical move in Northern Europe has occurred, where they've started putting people back on the checkouts in supermarkets. There's a I mean, how clever yes. have we become? You know, we've become so disconnected. <laughs> and I think the lockdown has kind of Outsourcing shown us everything. Absolutely. We became a, mm. uh, at least that wonderful, all of my cultural references are from the 90s, so you'll have to bear with me because I think yeah. it's the greatest decade <laughs> in human history. But, uh, you know, it was kind of a reverse version of the Matrix. You know, at least in the Matrix, we, when yes. we discovered what was going on, we were little batteries that produced energy into the system we became this kind of reverse matrix where we were these little units of consumption where we just sat alone in our apartments and Mm. houses and things just turned up at our our door and we realized oh my goodness if i dropped off the perch tomorrow who who would know you know would anyone notice and and right got us into that place of kind of despair and disconnection and and then the anxiety of just re-engaging with society that Many people are still experiencing. I spoke to someone just mm. yesterday who went into the supermarket for the first time in two years. And and I just wow. think, you know, just think about that for a second. Yeah, they were terrified at, of walking in through the doors. And, and yet that was how we used to be connected with each other. And that's how, as communities, we used to engage with each other. So we would know what's going on in each other's lives and uh, and now we lead these kind of privatised kind of existences. And I think Mother Teresa said it in the 70s, you know, she said, loneliness is the leprosy of the West. 
And that's always mm. – I've never quite and understood it's, it's, it. You go, mate. Well, yeah, I mean, sorry to interject there, but, like, it's, it's as if the pandemic – um, gave us an insight of, hey, let's fast forward the trajectory you're on and what it's going to feel like. And we got a good dose mm-hmm. of it. And now we're starting to realize, oh my gosh, like, do I really want what I think I want? Do I, do I really know what I'm asking for in a way? And, um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's, uh, one, it's been a warning for a lot of us and we do see the pendulum kind of swinging back and forth in all of that. Um, but I, I like what you said earlier about kind of being not built from the university down but from the gutter the gutter up because, you know, it takes um, – it's that's where reality lives. It re- lives actually in the space of where are mm. people where are people at um, and I think – um, as important as academia is, as important as research can be, um, it it still does not captivate the reality of of what is going on on the street level. And we see it in politics. We see it in in institutions like the church that actually so feel so far um, separated and distanced from the reality of every everyday people's lives that um, they offer this. Um, almost like solution, but it 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 just always seems to to miss the mark in 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 one way or another, and we kind of just end up punting. Sorry, I use American references. Uh, spent too much time there, but we punt the problem down. You know, like we just kind of delay it to 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 really. Um, maybe it's a little too awkward. Maybe it makes us a little too uncomfortable to to know what's actually happening. Um, Next door. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, it's happening in every single one of our lives. We just do a really good job at covering it up. We really do a good job when we show up to our 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 footy club or 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 I don't know whatever you know work on on a weekday and kind of cover up the real issues that are really kind of weighing us down. The really real struggles or addictions or or the challenges that are happening in our relationships or the financial problems we, we've, we've got and and so um, there's something beautiful you mentioned Mother Teresa and I actually wrote her down I, I didn't make too many notes but I've got a few few pieces few names that I just kind of wrote down that kind of came to mind as as you were as well as I was kind of getting ready to chat with you um, because you know this has um, and will have somewhat of a you know where does the intersection of faith come into this um, with your work in 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 a very kind of faith, somewhat faith based organisation? Well, it is. It's a church pastor. You you have the title pastor half the time, um, though I'm sure you don't like being called pastor or father or or any 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 title. Um, but you know that at at that intersection of faith, we've seen people throughout history. Mother Teresa's. We've seen the Desmond Tutus. We've seen. Um, the list could go on. Even our current day Pope, Pope Francis of the Franciscan Order, who's yeah. really resurrected that that kind of South American um, justice kind of element to to our faith that have kind of um, rattled the establishments and institutions and and kind of led us back to um, the core the core essence of what it means to be to be human. Um, yeah. of to letting our guard down and and letting it all out and I think um, yeah and I think I think 
I think that's kind of one of the, I guess, the privileges you have, and people might not see it a privilege. They might look at you and think, oh, you know, geez, you're making such a big sacrifice to to serve such such vagabonds, such people on the streets. And I can almost guarantee uh, with that kind of statement, you're like, oh, if only, if only you knew how rich my life has become. That being said, um, you, you didn't just start working in, in, in this work, you know, when you got, took the job as CEO, um, and, and, um, pastor in 2018, you've spent like, I think, um, decades, decades kind of, uh, like on, on the, um, on the coalface in, in other work, you know, living in communities, living alongside communities. Can you kind of give us a bit of a taste of your journey towards this amazing organization, which at the end I would really love for people to spend more time looking into um, and kind of um, looking at ways that they could even support. But I'd love to... I'd love to tap into now, like how you got there. How did you arrive at the John Owen that is, you know, sitting in front of me on a screen? Though I wish we were having another meal of that. What was that restaurant you took me to in? Um, was it Vietnamese? Yeah, it's called um, Yellow Corner in Marrickville. So. Oh God, it was amazing. I just mm. remember, you know, the best breakfast, even though it was yeah. still, yeah, it was great. It was good. But anyway, so what? What what is the what what went into the John? What's the journey that that you've been on um, to this point? John's still very much a work in progress. Let me tell you that much. There's uh, <laughs> he, he gets a lot more wrong than he gets right. But uh, I'll stop talking about myself in the third person. <laughs> I think the the if there's any way to kind of begin to frame some of the journey that I've been on, it would be a quote from Father Richard Raw who's a mm. wonderful uh, teacher and uh, public speaker who has really deeply formed not only myself but many people who I you know, consider comrades in this work. He said, you know, mm. it's not so much that we are human beings trying to be spiritual. The reality is we're spiritual beings and our journey is learning how to become human. So that's yes. kind of... That's Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's something that you have to grapple with. You know, on this journey, what does it mean to be a good human being on this planet with all its challenges as it faces people, as it faces communities, mm. uh, but also as it faces the environmental crises that we're seeing will become an ever-present reality mm. now for the subsequent future generations, you know, the, in a way that you and I only began to hear of, you know, through our youth. So, mm. you know, how, how can we become more in tune? How can we develop a, a spirituality that enables me to live more in harmony with myself and with others, with the universe and with the land, you know, and there are, we don't need to pitch forward to learn those lessons, you know, they're, they're all baked in if we look behind and there's such deep wisdom there. I am, uh, yeah. Sorry, you're going to jump in. Did you have? Did you have? I was going to say, did you have a spiritual upbringing? Like, was that part of your formation from as a child, or is it something you you stumbled upon or came across later on in life? So I'm part of. An, uh, I was born in Malaysia, and my family migrated to Australia mm. when we when I was very young. So I I don't really have uh, any memories. 
of being in Malaysia, we are Indian and Sri Lankan in our heritage. Mm -hmm. So our migration route kind of follows the British East India Tobacco Company's line. So uh, the old gun germs and mm. steel kind of way. And so we made it into uh, into the Antipodes down here. Is that, isn't that what Australia is called, into the colonies? And uh, so that's where I, I yeah, grew up. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, you know, completely running roughshod over the uh, Aboriginal peoples of this land. And I've neglected to say I am broad, I'm here mm. on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Yes. And, you know, I always begin every meeting that we have spending a moment just to acknowledge mm. that and to really pay respects to their elders past and present. So we uh, we were here. Thank you for in, doing that. I, thanks, brother. We, we were here in, oh, I was in Melbourne. I grew up in Melbourne. And part of parcel of being a good Southeast Asian immigrant was, you know, we went to church as well. Both mum and dad come from Hindu and um, Buddhist backgrounds, but both families had conversions to Christianity and so we attended a little evangelical Chinese church in the inner city of Melbourne and that was very formative in my upbringing and it was through the um mm. that that was an important that's an important part of my story obviously but it was also through mm. how I ended up getting to where I was now began very early on when you know through growing up looking tangibly different being being dark skinned mm. in a very white country at that time it was you know often got to see life from the outside and wonder where my mm. place was in it and often that came with a lot of very difficult experiences where i was discriminated against was called a whole bunch of names and was treated different to others and so I grew up with that as a bit of a lens and it was it was quite painful at times I've got three sisters mm -hmm. so I didn't even have a gang that could back me up at, at the time and <laughs> so it was you know that was I used to often say oh my goodness why did you come to this country for you know we, we're so different from everyone else and uh, you know dad would always say you know just, just blend in, son. Just blend in, and I'd say, you know, we don't blend with anything except, except the shadows, probably here. And you know, and when kids would call me a ah. chocolate, chocolate frog, mum used to say, just call them a milky bar. And you go, for those of you who don't know, uh, chocolate frogs are brown chocolate, and milky bars are a, a white chocolate. Um, it didn't work. Exactly, a Freddo. They call them Freddo <laughs> frogs these days, and and they're uh, definitely a favourite to to kind of find when you when you're travelling and and you you know you probably can't go wrong buying a bag of Freddo frogs for your Aussie mm. that's overseas. But yeah, <laughs> go on, go on. Oh, so anyway, I kind of got to uni and went. I hate being vulnerable. So and I was seventeen at the time, and I said, the way I'm going to never be hurt again or be vulnerable again is I'm going to get into the course that pays the most money and I'm going to do it and become so rich that uh, I'll never feel pain again. And so as part of that course, they had they made you do a what they called a non-technical subject. And so I just looked through the list and went, oh, there's a theology college in here. Uh, I'll, um, I'll do a subject because, you know, the answer to every question is God, Jesus and the Bible, right? And so I studied this subject that was about justice. 
and it it messed me up completely mm. and it kind of just changed the trajectory of my life and I had that moment where I said um, I'm about to fish or cut bait with this uh, thing called faith but if it's real it better not just be turning up once a week and singing a couple of songs and chucking some coins in the plate you know it, it's got to be mm. a, something that is a, a story that is good news for all and and when I say that I, I now run a church that our, our church motto is uh, we're not much like a church which might suit you if you're not much like a Christian all right so we we think um, oh, I love that <laughs> it, it's uh, you uh, know we're, we're definitely saying that uh, yeah that you know we we make it accessible for all you know and the cost of our, our mm. love and our friendship doesn't come at the price of people's souls you know and so the, the irony is there's a lot of churches that might have like on their um their billboard outside or whatever they they what do they call those signs that they put words on <laughs> I forgot mm. probably not a billboard but um they have you know all welcome you know you see it in every kind of uh whether it be the mm. you know you could pick any kind of denomination or, or that will have that the funny mm. thing is is the minute you walk in it's like walking into a golf club without your uh, without your collared shirt. They just stare at you and, and look at you and like, uh, you're not you're not dressed to play. You know, you, yeah. you you know, you're welcome, but as long as you what like your dad said, blend in, as long as you fit in, as long as you which is really uh, the irony is that fitting in is the opposite to actual belonging. Like mm. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's kind of not that essence of of true welcome acceptance and so um i love that little that little kind of bargain you made with with uh the big man upstairs that hey as i'll get in as long as it doesn't involve uh all those kind of character caricatures that are actually not caricatures they're actual quite often the reality that most people live in their faith so oh yeah man so you yeah. know the vision here is we it's love over hate and so that's essentially saying is how do we how do we stand in between black and white, gay and straight, uh, rich and poor, housed and homeless, uh, cisgendered and non-binary? And how do we stand in such a way and live our lives that love can prevail in that space? And so it, it's about walking the middle line. And so when we think about human-centered design and we say it's from the gutter up, is we've always got to keep people at the centre of that. Mm. And we always need to be looking and evaluating how do our systems intersect and how do they create spaces of welcome and safety and space. Our mission is creating community with no us and them. So that means we are we have to be intentional about working out who are the us and thems. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, go see. Well, can you give me an example then where, yeah, that, that you know that kind of challenge the us and them the the gutter instead of the university model like where if it was if it was easy to do a lot of people would be doing but i I tend to find the gravity gravitational pull is actually away from that um how 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 are how do you be be intentional about making sure it's not just um you know because i'm sure that there's there's well-meaning people and it, let, let's put our own, ha- you know, hands up, both hands up and say, hey, there's times when we're even well-intentional about the way we talk and the way we express our faith that don't match up with with the, the, the hard work of 
doing what is we know to be right rather than just talking about virtue signaling tokenism you know let's put a throw a couple of people on our board or let's do this and that how do we intentionally how, how have you kind of gone about intentionally doing that um and it, i'm sure it's not any profound method um but is there ways in which you've kind of recognized hey there's going to be a gravitational pull away from this in my life or in our organization how do we make sure that we're constantly um reevaluating and going back to those those core principles yeah, uh, look, you know, I mean, we could wax lyrical for how broken our systems are and how our mindsets really uh, already beginning from the wrong space. You know, how what can I what can I do for them? Or you know, the way uh, I'm a social yes. worker also by training, and you know, social work kind of sets us up to fail. You know, the ten scariest words in the English language are "I'm a social worker and I'm here to help." <laughs> uh, but then Bible college also does set up many people to fail. Like you will have all the answers and, you know, you will learn how to defend this and defend that. And I think just let's throw all that crap out. And there's a quote by yes. the Aboriginal activist Lila Watson who was speaking at a UN conference on Indigenous rights. Um, and she said, if you've, come mm. to, if you've come to save me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because somehow your liberation is tied up with mine, then come. Let us walk together. Oh, that's so beautiful. I don't have a monopoly on truth. I don't have a monopoly on how this world works or is meant to work. So I walk into every space saying there is something to learn here. And if we incline our ears towards those who aren't heard, we will hear some of the deepest and truest wisdom that will help us then be able to walk together back to the centre and say, these aren't issues. We're not going to make poverty history until we make poverty personal, until it becomes flesh mm. and blood, brothers and sisters walking together hand in hand. And and that's the way we want the new world to happen. And we, we don't do it by, we do this by fascination rather than force because I think people at their core are dissatisfied yes by the way society is ripping us apart and throwing us into boxes and say the only way we deal with oh, difference yeah. is pick up a weapon, you know, and shoot shoot as much yeah. as you can at the other side. People come into this space, some of them are terrified for the first time when we have corporate groups coming through here, and yet they realise that there is a common shared humanity in this place and that brings them back to life and they realise that their liberation is also tied up with the person it's who tied up. they're sharing a meal with. This episode is brought to you by The Just Travel Company, your socially responsible travel concierge. Just Travel is the best kept secret in culturally immersive and justice-oriented adventures. Allow Just Travel to take the hassle out of your next trip and experience wonder and unearth justice. Discover the just way to travel today. Simply head on over to just-travel.co to learn more and book your next adventure. Like our flagship Israel-Istanbul trip launching out in mid-July 2023. Yeah, I mean, do you know what I love is that it refuses to control the outcome. It refuses to control the other. Like you said before, you're not there to fix people. There, You're not there to to yeah. determine the outcome for someone else's life. I mean, I've heard it said that the, the best way to kind of make peace in this world is to mind your own business in the sense that not to not care about the other, 
But uh, hey, you've got enough crap in your own life to work through. Uh, as as that old Jewish rabbi, well, he's yeah, two thousand years ago, that Jewish rabbi once said, you know, take care of the the uh, the, the 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 plank in your own eye before you go after you know searching out for the speck in in your brother or sister's eye. And I think that motto you said. Um, so for you know. One kind of takeaway I just got from you right then, John, was, hey, in every interaction I have with anybody, whether it be my children, my wife at home, whether I walk out the door, see the, the postman dropping something off or my neighbours or person at the dog park or, you know, the list could go on, you know. What does this person have to teach me? Hmm. It's what you said before. It's like <clears throat> this other person, I'm going to I'm gonna go into this interaction with a sense of curiosity, wonder, fascination assuming that this person's lived a life and at any moment um is has probably got so much that i need Mm. rather than the other way around of of kind of walking in with it you know maybe an unrealized superiority that um i'm out here to kind of to help somebody today the benedictine um tradition i've heard it said um, I don't know how accurate it is, but it's been told to me by some wonderful friends that I I, I believe in, and maybe I do need to look it up. <laughs> uh, you could fact check me afterwards, but it's good nonetheless. Is when when someone would would come to like the monastery of the Benedictine tradition, you know this this you know Catholic order, you know founded by Saint Benedict many many you know uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Well, they would. A, a person passerby, you know, maybe coming on the wayside, would knock on the door, and you know, you could imagine this little latch opening and and the little the little monk hobbling up to the door. They probably were never really little, but mm-hmm. and they would say, "How can I help you on your way?" Mm-hmm. And it's this willingness to, "I want to serve you because you're my brother," but I'm not trying to figure out how can I serve you on the way I think you should be going, I have an opinion about. It's like, tell me, brother, sister, where do you want to go? Mm. And how can I help you on your way? I don't ha- I don't want to control the outcome. This is your life. I'm just here walking alongside you. I'm here to be with you. And, you know, what a horrible life to go through mm. trying to make clones of ourselves. Of other people, <laughs> you got to believe what I believe and think what I think, right. and and you know I just couldn't think of a more probably miserable, miserable way to live life. And yet I, I know I personally kind of grew up maybe in a tradition and and with, with with a lot of um, encouragement to try and convert or to try and encourage people to to see things the way I see them and to to say the words that 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 they need to say in order to you know, to, to find the freedom that I think they need. Anyways, mm-hmm. I could I could go on, but I, <laughs> I just love, love the way you, you kind of I – love, I love the way you kind of summed it up with this, yeah. with every interaction, this is where the rubber meets the road. What does this person have to teach me? Mm. And, you know, if yeah, we can I get it, that. a natural impulse in Western society is to fix people and that immediately creates a situation where we can't – being community and relationship with each other outside of a professional clinical space and that that's that's not what we were designed mm. to be here for yes there are professional relationships we all should be going to therapy i reckon but uh, you know there's a time yes. and a space for that right there's a time and a place for that and 
you know, there, there are these encounters and we miss so much wisdom. We miss so much truth when we're too busy trying to impose our view of what is right or wrong upon the world mm. uh, or fix it. You know, we say everyone has a right to make any decision they want, even a bad one. So often I'm sitting there with people who I absolutely deeply love and adore and uh, I say to them, I wish you could see what I see, right? Sometimes the mm. greatest contribution we can make into a relationship is our grief and our sadness. I say, I wish you could see the potential I see. Mm. I wish I could. S- mm. you could see the spark of life. I, you know, the, when you are in that place, the story that you tell yourself about yourself is not true. There's a different story there. Mm. But if you want to continue to make those decisions, I'm not going to stop you, brother, but or sister or person. I'm, I will give you the yeah. greatest funeral ever and I will weep as your body is carried out. But I just, mm. I just wish you would see. And that's a very uh, disarming space because we're so, you know, want to try and grab and rescue and fix and but that becomes manipulative and all of a sudden i've predetermined mm. what is right or wrong which is exactly the kind of thing i'm trying to work against yeah it's hard because you're a father mm. you've got yeah you know, um one of the things i enjoyed so much when we first met is the way you just launched into talking about your family and mm. I think your daughter was sitting some really important exams and how much of a mm. priority she was to you at that moment. Mm. You know, you, you needed to, to be to be somewhere for her and, and just that seemed to just ooze out as an important part of your life. But and uh, and you know the you know you've 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 welcomed you know, people into your family and and, and uh, that it just you know whether they're part of your biological family or extended family or the community you could just tell and so there's in those relationships where we're taught to um to actually craft and carve and and help raise and form a child there it does become that point where that you know okay this is you know this is um this is what this is the direction this is the the life that that you know, I, I hope for you, but I'm going to have to let you go on that journey yourself. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a challenge, you know, um, challenge when you're in that space and you're living in that world. I mean, I don't know about you, but to, to kind of, um, realize that, that, um, I can't, um, I can't, nor should I try to change somebody, but I can, um, I can provide the fertile soil in which growth can take place. I can love. Mm. And I, fi- I think people grow and change and evolve into the best person of themselves when they feel loved and accepted. Mm. It's pretty, I think it's pretty simple. Um, and so how do, you, how, do you, how do you kind of throw, throw family into the mix? How do you do that in, in your family? How do you take your family along for the ride? I mean, yeah. I know that the, the 20 years you spent um, living in intentional community uh, with a previous organisation kind of forced you and your family to to kind of, um, you know, not be sheltered from from that journey that you have personally taken as well. Mm. Yeah, look, it's been it's been quite a journey, and you know we've we've made probably more mistakes than we've got things right. But at the very least, our family and our children know that 
our values are something we deeply live out, not something we stick up on a wall and print out and laminate. You know, this is something that's flesh and blood. So they know if they want to follow in this path, they know the costs <laughs> as well as the joys of it all. But they've all got experiences with family that are very much along the lines of a big brown family. They're just everywhere they go, they know people. But, you know, I... You know that that there's always a tension in raising your own kids, and I, I'd say do as I say, not as I do. But you know, when um, the founder of this place christened about thirty thousand people, and he christened them all into the family of humanity, and uh, I, I did two on the weekend. And one of the parts of the ceremony is I anoint their head with oil, and I say to the parents, I say, you know, we save oil for anointing historically for royalty, and then remind every yeah. parent there that you don't own this child. This child is not your possession, right? They're on loan to you for just a brief moment of time. Mm -hmm. And so it's your job to nurture and tend to that gift and that responsibility that you have. And, you know, children don't come into this world as formless balls of clay that you're to mould into shape. They actually come with gifts and skills. And, you know, there's um, a beautiful book, by a guy called Parker Palmer, who's an American educator uh, from, mm. uh, and it's called Let Your Life Speak. And it's one of my favourite books because it's less than 100 pages and they're the greatest books ever in the world. And he's got a couple <laughs> of other books, The Courage to Teach. And But he is uh, from the Quaker tradition and, you know, he says we waste mm. so much of our lives saying who do I want to be and then we pull the posters up on the wall and that might be a rock star but for those of us committed to social justice we'll put Martin Luther King or or Gandhi or you know Rosa William Wilberforce and we're trying to force ourselves to be something we're not when actually the greatest thing we can do is go back and look at the breadcrumbs of the life of who we are and he he kind of guides us through that to say actually this is my unique contribution because a need doesn't constitute a call right I, I think we mm. we do have that we owe it to the world to be able to give them the gift of who we are because when we do that we actually give permission for others to discover their own gifts and and to be who, who they're made to be not some unattainable image and we laugh at instagram and all that kind of rubbish but you know i think many of us committed to social justice are, uh, playing the same game by with a different set of clothes on or actually more clothes on. And if we just gave ourselves the permission to say, you know, when I sit still, when I take notes on my own soul, you know, what is it in this world that I'm not free to not do? And that, that takes a bit of work, but I think mm. it ultimately makes us better humans and b- better mm. better members of our families and our communities. John, I didn't expect to be so personally um, challenged. <laughs> uh um and and that goes to show the uh you know the the still journey i have to to go in, in into walking walking that true um you know that true true life of 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 service um yeah what you just shared there like went straight to my heart um yeah. You know, I think we do try to um, live into other people's shoes or what society is trying to – we try to figure out what does what does society want from me or what, what does the game require of me, the game of social media, the game of, of, of mm. the career ladder, the game of 
of whatever it is and then and then kind of mold a little as much to you know we try and i think deep down we know who we are and when we're free right uh, who is it uh uh who is it that said um i think it was um the dalai lama um who said you 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 know, he went around and says, you know, he was a Buddhist that told people not to become a Buddhist. He says, you don't want to be a Buddhist. You want to be free. You don't need to become a Christian. You need to be free. You don't need to become a Muslim. You you need to be, to yeah. be free. And we know what it is deep down when we're, we're free. And I, you know, I think personally that, that feels like to me when I know I belong mm. just as I am like that, that core sense of like, I don't have to fit in. I just, I'm here, I'm me, and that's okay. Whether the, whether, whether I, whether the, the game says you, you know, or the, the golf club says you have to kind of act, look, live a certain way. And so, um, yeah, I, I think for a lot of us listening and even just me right now is, is, is where, where am I, where am I playing the game? Mm. Like, where am I kind of still, really good, still kind of, thinking about um you know that that there is a you know that there's a expectations i need to meet today that i've put on myself or society has put on me so thanks for thanks for coming up with that i mean uh, what you know we, we've we've kind of you know we're talking about justice and faith and this but also uh, the need for more justice in our world because god knows that this world is uh, is tearing itself apart rapidly and destroying itself and there are real mm. needs out there I, I don't want us to yeah uh, to to ever not talk about that but i guess what i'm saying is you know where where does that issue from within our own hearts and our own lives is really important i think it's best summed up with um yeah Carl Jung was once teaching a bunch of students uh, a lesson and they were studying the book Pilgrim's Progress, which is a strange book, don't read it. And uh, But they asked him, what's your Pilgrim's, <laughs> you know, what, what's, your, what's been your Pilgrim's Progress? And Carl Jung, now an old shriveled man at, at the end of his life, just said to them, this has been my Pilgrim's Progress, to climb down the 10,000 ladders of who I thought I was supposed to be. And finally, to go down into the dirt and to extend the hand of friendship with the lump of clay that I am. Right. I think if we can stop climbing up the ladders of who we mm. think we're supposed to be and climb down those 10,000 ladders and extend the hand of friendship and care and compassion to the lump of dirt, the temporal form of ourselves that mm. we are meant to be, it is from that ground that we will be able to make a tangible difference to the needs of our world. You you've 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 maybe remind you've reminded me of of Father Richard Raw, you know, who you referenced earlier in his his book, you know, Falling Upward. Mm. In that kind of um I don't know if you've read that particular book, but it it kind of refers to the two two phases of life, you know, this this life of trying to build and, and define uh, who I am and what it is in the container mm. and, and put all the pieces and then suddenly the second half of life. And I think we can, you know, for those of us listening, we can beat ourselves up for have, having played the game of having kind yeah. of, you know, gone to the top of that heap and realised, heck, I need to, to find, you know, what, what this whole 
life is all about. I actually start need to start walking back down. You know, um, yeah. it's almost like well, you Carl, can't, Carl Jung. You Carl know, Jung uses you, the climbing down metaphor, whereas uh, there's nothing. The first half of life, like we don't, and because we live in a culture that's devoid of rituals, basically, you know, what do we do when you turn eighteen? Sure, you get yes. pissed. Right, and then you, if in Australia, your dad mm. takes you to visit a sex worker or something, you know, and and all of a sudden that's the only mm. ritual you've got, and you know we're seeing because of these lack of rituals, we have guys in their late forties, early fifties still in their adolescence, and what we find is that we did have different phases in life. You've got me monologuing now, sorry, and so we have our householder phase where we're I building, love this, yes, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're building on. those ladders, you know, the stages of our lives and. It's not wrong to build that tower. It's not wrong to get that job, to have a family, Mm -hmm. to get established, to have somewhere to live, to provide for your family. The point of building up those ladders, and and Carl Jung talks about climbing down them, but uh, Richard Raw says the point of it is to jump off (laughs) and leap into that second half of life. And so, look, don't get down on yourself because the goal goal of um, traditional cultures isn't the goal of our culture. Our, the goal of our culture is anti-wisdom. It's to be 21 forever, right? And that's just an yes. unattainable standard that leads to so much pain and suffering. But the goal of wisdom cultures is to become the wise elder in your tribe. And so how do we continue to realise that's the high watermark and live out lives that actually show that that is a value of ours by hanging out with the elders and asking them their perspective on life and society yeah. and also realising your life doesn't end at 21 or 30 or when your kids leave home. There's always another phase that we've got to engage in. And um, so there's the, the, we need a total rework of the way our society works. So, you know, I, we could have talked about, you know, Wayside and, still runs amazing programs, but I think we need a, a revolution of the yeah. heart to really kick this thing off, right? Well, y- yes, and it's like, as he, Richard Rule would say, like, transcend and include. You know, we can't, we can't just throw out the old we have to somehow find a way to include it and transcend it and so absolutely you know for i think for for people listening you know this is um there's probably some of you thinking um oh that there's that gut feeling you know for me Mm -hmm. i I always feel it when it's a you know the surf's pumping and i'm about Mm -hmm. to jump off the rocks at burly Mm -hmm. heads Mm -hmm. and i know I know I'm going to be okay, but it's still scary to be on the edge of these rocks and I could slip and I could, you know, time it wrong and and a set could come and wash me on those rocks. But I know I have to jump. I've got to jump. I've got to, you know, everything in me is, you know, and it's usually at that last moment at when you, you know, you have to jump that everything in you is kind of pulling you back, you know. Mm. And so there's probably people listening that are thinking, Oh, that means I've got to jump. And for some, it's, you know, you know, we talk about the great resignation. It doesn't mean quitting your job. Usually that kind of, that, that kind of just pure external jump, uh, you, you find you, you, you bring yourself with you to that next mm-hmm. thing if it's purely just an external decision. And you still have to just, you know, that old Tim is still, still with you, but it's that willingness to be like, okay, um, I need to, you know, to make some really internal checks um, and yeah. do some 
some some some some heart soul searching and thinking and and you're right because if you don't do that like you said you could jump in and volunteer at wayside there are many amazing programs you could visit them but if you don't have the intentions right if you the why isn't there if you that that if you haven't done the the work and and chances are um even if you do go and volunteer and, and serve and expose yourself, you'll quickly learn <laughs> where your intentions are. And it might be an even faster way to actually get mm-hmm. those things sorted out. So, again, no right or wrong way or order to do anything, but mm-hmm. but it does begin. It does begin inside, right? It begins. It begins um, in there and 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 kind of moves its way out. Um, mate, you've got so much on your plate at this time of the year. I could only imagine. Um, as we were talking before we started recording, you know, this is a tough time of year where people conversations come up. It's a time mm-hmm. of year where where people feel left out. Um, we're talking about you know Christmas, the holidays, and 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 all that seems to happen. Um, you know, and I think it's important. Um, uh, you know that that you know, obviously we want to um, remember what all these things um, mean to us at this time of the year, but also that. You know, I was just having a business lunch with somebody, and he's Jewish, and and I said <laughs> again, it just escaped from me that I'm like, oh, have a great Christmas break, and he's like, oh yeah, I will, but you know, I won't be, <laughs> I'll still be doing what I'm doing. And and any advice for people out there at this time of year that, um, again, even if this doesn't get released at Christmas, mm. but any advice for just people as they just kind of interact with people, how do how do you kind of stay that? that place of, you know, being aware of where other people are at and mm-hmm. um, and how to kind of, um, yeah, meet them there? I think one of the greatest lessons we can learn in life is how to, how to love the real rather than the ideal, right? And that goes for us in our friendships mm-hmm. and our relationships and, and our, with our families and everyone around us. There's also that moment where we have festivals like Christmas where we are bombarded mm. with what it means to have the ideal Christmas and we can get so caught up in trying to provide that and running around to get the toy of the season or the, the right dressings and the mm. right spread and and we completely lose the plot and lose the point of what it's all about. And, you know, if, if we can just take the moment just to realize the greatest gift we can give is that of our presence and our attention and our focus. Mm. Uh, chuck that phone away for a couple of days, particularly coming up to Christmas Day, and and just be with the people that you love because these are the places where we know who we are and whose we are as we gather and share that food mm. together. And, you know, that that's ultimately the goal, right, is that we can all just sit down together and share a feed. I think... Um, it, that's you know one day when mm. this world is the place that it's meant to be is we all just sit down and have a good old yarn and we all continue to learn and grow <clears throat> and address everyone's challenges that arises so um try and do that try and make um if i give any advice and i, I really try not to give advice all the time uh, is just mm. to say just take a moment you know just take a moment to breathe in and look around and realize what an immense gift being alive is and mm. and what and what beauty that can unleash into the world 
Well, what an immense gift this conversation has been to me. I mean, this has been so much fun. Just getting to know you even a little bit more, hearing you talk about your your own journey. I can't wait for us to have a real, another real chat. Definitely, um, if you ever find yourself up here, mate, um, you know, I'd love to... I'd love to treat you to some of our local cuisine too. But um, thanks for making the time. Thanks for your heart um, and all the best with your work. If there's ways I'm sure people might want to reach out to you, um, John, they might want to personally mm-hmm. touch base with you and, 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 was, and you know, grab a coffee or maybe they want to um, visit the work and, and, and volunteer or serve or if they're looking for a place to kind of – I know have meaningful impact with their their resources. Um, I, I, I can vouch for that personally, and 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 the work that you do. Where would they go? Could you kind of like we'll have it in show notes and stuff. But if people are listening yeah. and and, and want to kind of reach out, well, look if you want to reach me, there's uh, Facebook John Owen J O N so no H uh, in there, and just chuck in uh, Wayside Chapel. And if you want to find the work of the Wayside, just type in uh, careful there's a wayside chapel in texas as well uh i believe we got our name from the oh, founder. Yeah. the founder completely ripped off the name from texas because he thought that's a cool name uh it's so yeah. just put um so john owen uh wayside chapel and sydney australia and uh, you'll be quickly yeah. led to our I'll website and so come on down come in for a yarn anytime drop me a line yeah so good. Well, thanks, thanks, John. Get get back to your your family, to your to your work today, and um, and have have an absolutely ripper of a day, mate. Hope it's the best one yet. And um, really appreciate your time, your wisdom, and and your friendship. We'll talk oh, again soon. Thank, yeah. Thanks so much, Tim. And yeah, as you head into the twenty fifth of December, mate, you uh, get some good time with your tribe too, brother. Thanks so much. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode of Justice Matters with Tim Buxton. It is an immense privilege to share these conversations and inspiring people with you. To learn more about how you can get involved or learn more about today's guest, head on over to the show notes or episode description. This podcast was produced by the master himself, Jose Biotto, with just a little bit of help from me. The featured music is the song Turning Over Tables by The Brilliance. Lastly, to my Patreon community out there, thank you so much for your support and generosity. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to become a patron and get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, visit patreon.com forward slash justice matters and start your give-what-you-can monthly contribution today and join me and so many others in creating a world where everyone belongs. Until next time, thank you for subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends. Justice Matters with Tim Buxton acknowledges and pays respect to the past, present and future traditional custodians and elders of this nation, now known as Australia, and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.